0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Now he's going to explain Why Chachma which is the creative ability, which is the beginning of human consciousness, why Chachma is the source for faith, for godliness. And it's this sense of godliness which is what makes our soul holy. This is why every Jew is holy. Every Jew has a holy soul. Every Jew has a holy faith that they're born with, a potential, hidden potential, innate potential, and it all resides in Chachma. You want to begin page 254, the second paragraph, now Chachma.
0: Now Chachma, which as explained in chapter 3 is the initial flash of intellect, the nebulous, seminal glimmer of an idea, is a source of intelligence and comprehension which first begin to emerge in the faculty of Bina. For as explained there, Bina represents the ability to grasp an idea in all its details and ramifications. It is higher than Bina, which is the faculty of understanding an idea and grasping it.
1: We learned earlier in Chapter 3, the beginning of human consciousness begins with the creative spark, with the eureka moment. When you have a flash, a communication from your subconscious soul, it's just a glimmer, it's just like a lightning, a bolt of lightning. That's all it is, flash. An illumination. Very brief illumination. It's vague, it's fuzzy, it's formless, it's inarticulate. It's more like a sense. A felt sense. And it feels okay. You were puzzling over, over, over an idea and then you get this bolt of lightning, you get this Eureka moment, you get this flash, and now it makes sense it feels okay. You can't explain it yet, you can't articulate it yet, you don't yet grasp it, you don't get have words to communicate it even to yourself. But you have a sense that it's okay. You have the, the bolt of lightning and now your path has been illuminated for a brief moment. But if the flash comes and goes, then you have to take the flash and you have to articulate it, you have to Grasp the concept have to truly understand the concept, wrap your mind around the concept that's where the analytical mind comes in, the left brain that's the critical mind, the analytical mind, you, you take it apart, you understand it in, in, in detail, and then you're able to articulate it. you flush it out, you're able, you flush it out, you're able to articulate the concept, grasp the concept. but the chama itself. Continue, so that in relation.
0: So that in its relation to the soul's lower faculties, this single lever of Chochmah comprises two opposite aspects. On one hand, Chachma is above comprehension and understanding, thus it transcends the lower faculties of the soul, and it is this aspect of Chochmah which enables it to be the recipient of the light of the Ain Self, as will soon be explained. While on the other hand, Chachmah is a source of intelligence and comprehension and is thus connected to the lower faculties.
1: Chachma, which is a vessel of vir, it could reveal, it could sense that that's undefined and inarticulate, that's beyond the conscious world. And therefore it's the Chachma, the godly Chachma, and the godly soul that's open, that's able to intuit, intuition is able to sense godliness, the infinite, the undefined. And yet it's the bridge, it's able to suffuse the entire consciousness. With this sense of godliness. That the Jews' analytical, the, the analytical ability of the godly soul is the dedicated and devoted toward grasping godliness. And the emotions of the godly soul are dedicated and devoted exclusively to feeling godliness, and to responding emotionally to godliness. And then the thought and speech and action. So the entire godly soul is suffused with this sense of godliness. But where does it get the sense of godliness from? That comes from the Chachma. That's the faculty of Chachma. The faculty of Chachma is the ability to sense that which is beyond words, which is inarticulate, which is infinite, which is undefined within us. And Chachma is able to help it emerge and surface and is able to bring it down into 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 the world, into your conscious world. So you become aware of it. It becomes a force and an impact on you. It becomes a force in your life. Otherwise, and as long as it remains a mystery in your subconscious, it has zero impact on you. I'm still
0: confused, but isn't it through the spirit, through the lula, that the chachma is activated?
1: Yes, yes. The chachma is the bridge to, to the soul, to the subconscious, but the chachma is a vessel for it. Chachma is actually a vessel, is actually a vehicle to the subconscious. Who originates this first Distort, because, uh-huh, because, it's stored. It's aha. It's aha. It originated in, the, in, in our consciousness or it comes. Well, it originates in our subconscious. But we don't originate it. I mean, we don't physically. Well, we, do, we do, we when do. You, when you are mulling over a problem, over an idea, and you're totally puzzled, confused, confounded, it's usually at the moment of darkness. When you're the most puzzled and confused and confounded, and you're checkmated, and and, and, and you're, you're tormented, and you're uh, you're restless, and you can't like stuck. And then suddenly, out of seemingly out of nowhere, you get this flash, this bolt of lightning, this revelation, this unexpected turn, a whole new idea you never even thought about it, and this this is the answer to all your to all your to your question, to your dilemma. So it appears to be coming out of nowhere, but when a person works very 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 hard, and one of the reasons why a person has to work so hard and it's only when you reach a point where you totally almost give up hope, you feel almost hopeless and you feel it's it's really an experience it's a soul it's a it's a soul drenching experience is because as long as you are straight jacketed as long as you're stuck and limited within your conscious frame of reference you're not allowing anything new into into your consciousness you have to allow something new into your consciousness something unpredictable something something totally something you would never dream of in a million years and it's only when you silence your ego mind and your analytical mind and your logical rational mind and you free you know you become open and then you can that creative Spark could emerge. It's like the seed must rot first in order for the seed to grow. It has to rot because as long as the seed remains a seed, you can't. Try, how do you get from a seed to a tree? You can't. The seed has to lose its properties, lose its identity, and rot totally. Rot, and then it releases, it unleashes a creative spark, and then out of the seed, uh, tur- the seed turns into this luscious tree. So too, it's you have to rot first. It's when a person. When your conscious self is not a vessel, it's not a vehicle. On the contrary, it's, it's blocking the way. interfering. It's not allowing anything that's infinite, undefined, or something deeper into, into, you, into your awareness. So it's only when you reach a point where you feel hopeless, and you feel confounded, and confused, and, and checkmated, and stuck, and frustrated, and, and at that darkest moment, That's the moment of rock that unleashes this creative spark and then allows this communication from your subconscious to emerge into your consciousness. That's like a bolt of lightning. For a brief moment, suddenly you see the path. I see the way out. And then it's very elusive. It's very vague. It's fuzzy. Unless you immediately take this flash, this bolt of lightning, and immediately digest it and work with it, Using your analytical mind to take this concept, like when you have a wake up from a dream, you can hold on to it. Otherwise, it just fades away. It's it's so vague, it fades away. So it's the spark is almost like a dream. It's vague, it's fuzzy, and unless you immediately find the right words to articulate it and to define it and to express it, and unless you truly understand it, it will fade away. It's very vague and fuzzy. Excuse me. I'm thinking this is the chokma within us. But we talk about the Chachma and the Spirit. These are separate levels, or is it, or should we think of them separately, or are they part of each other, or is one? Well, our Chachma, the Chachma of a godly soul, every Jew inherits a godly soul and has a, a, a reflection of the divine Chachma, of the supernal wisdom. So it's like a, it's a reflection. And therefore we have some we of have some of that, some of that uh, spark of the divine wisdom. So he's using the analogy, just like we understand from our own, Chachma. What is Chachma? chachma is Chachma is is um, removing your ego. That's really what Chachma is. See, people don't realize the purpose of the brain, of the analytical mind is not to take in information the country the purpose of the brain is to block information because the subconscious is like an ocean and we are like a a faucet try rushing the ocean through that faucet (laughs) it will be too overwhelming our whole frame of reference our whole thinking is drip drop one drop at a time one concept at a time cause effect one step at a time but that's not life that's not how life happens that's not how we experience life Life is simultaneously billions of trillions of events happening simultaneously. It's just too overwhelming for us to begin to even grasp, and so it, it can't be. It doesn't allow for a communication from the subconscious. It's only when chachma has the ability to silence your ego, when the seed rats, when your ego is silenced, because we're always. O- always in charge, always in control, always defined, always clear. And we're so clear, we don't allow anything any, anything real to enter. Any real insight, any real understanding. And it's only when the mind becomes frustrated, the logical mind becomes totally frustrated. And you don't see a way out, and, and, and you're totally confused and confounded, and you're puzzled, and you know you go deeper, and suddenly all the facile answers, all the superficial answers... Are not satisfying. That allows the the that moment. That allows that opens up. That opens your mind, and allows for communication from the subconscious, that infinite depth inside of us, the undefined place, that place that's inarticulate, is beyond words, and it allows you to receive a communication and a a brilliant illumination from that. And that transferring from the subconscious to the conscious, that, 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 that's the eureka moment, that's the aha. Always takes us by surprise, it's always unpredictable, it's always very satisfying, very exciting, thrilling experience. Um, that's the opening to the divine, it's the opening to the soul, and that's also, that's also the bridge to the rest of the conscious soul. From there, it filters down into your conscious mind, the your analytical mind, and from there, it filters into your heart, and into your thoughts, into your speech, into your action. So if this is true, in general, of Chachma. Chachma is really like the ability to, to see. The difference between Chachma and Bina, the right brain and the left brain, the creative mind and the analytical mind, the difference between seeing and hearing. That's what we call it, insight. The difference in seeing and hearing. When you hear... You hear one word at a time. If you miss a word, you miss a sentence, you miss the sequence, you're lost. When you're seeing, you see the whole thing in one split second. You see the whole. You don't see the details. You see the whole thing. The Talmud says you can't compare hearing to seeing. Seeing, when you see something, you're certain of it. If you see the sun is shining, and ten Einsteins came and proved to you irrefutable logic, that it's pitch dark outside, would you doubt for one aorta, the sun is shining? No. You look at them and say, with all due respect, the sun is shining. I see it. <laughs> but I see, I see. But if you heard something, and you thought you heard, and you're certain that you heard, and then Einstein will come and say, it's impossible, you couldn't have heard it. It's absurd, it's ridiculous. You would start doubting yourself. And maybe I didn't. I'm not so sure. Suddenly you're not sure anymore. Because seeing, you can't compare seeing to hearing. This is where Jewish faith is rooted at. Jewish faith, it's not just we're a nation of philosophers, we're a nation of mystics, we're a nation of meditators. A Jew sees Hashem. We see. Like we collectively experienced and saw the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the sea and Hashem spoke to us at Sinai. We all stood there. You can't argue with what you see. You see. We saw, we experienced it. it's it's a total experience. Seeing hits home much more powerfully than hearing. Um, And it's, it's much closer to us. Seeing. So the idea of seeing, this is the vessel and the vehicle with which a Jew sees godliness. You see the infinite. Because when your ego is out of the way, you're able to see, in other words, a Jew senses God, the way God is to Himself. We see the infinite, we see Hashem, the way Hashem is, not the way we process it and we digest. It. Human consciousness, when human consciousness thinks about Hashem and tries to understand Hashem and comprehend Hashem, the religious person, the mystic, you are processing based on your finite, limited perception. So it's like hearing. When you hear, you're not hearing the thing itself. It's like, it's like re- reducing the ocean to, 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 to a drip drop. Is that a reflection of the ocean? No, that's not, that's not the way the ocean is. It's the way we are able to receive the ocean. We can't receive the ocean as it is, so we reduce the ocean to a tiny pipe, and one drop at a time. That's the way we can handle it, we could receive the water. But that's not a true reflection of what the ocean really is. The ocean is nothing like that. But that's hearing. That's the conscious world. That's our finite world. That's our limited world. That's our perception. We can't think otherwise. A human being can't think otherwise. That's why it's not, we're not putting anyone down by saying they don't have a Jewish soul. They have a human soul. And they're, and they're doing the best that a human being could accomplish, could achieve. Even angels are finite with what they can perceive and understand. But a Jew has divine wisdom. A reflection of the divine, supernal wisdom. And we have that a capacity, that ability, to see Hashem, to see God. We sense the ocean itself. We sense the ocean the way the ocean is to itself, not the way we process and digest it. And by the time we're done processing and digesting, there's no reflection. There's hardly any connection to its true reality. It becomes human, human, and finite and limited. That's not. That's not a Jew. A Jew has the faith, has the ability to see Hashem the way Hashem sees Himself, the way Hashem really is. That's the uniqueness of the Jewish soul. That's what makes us Jewish. We have a Jewish neshama. We have the chach, the ability to receive almost like a sixth sense, intuition, a sense, to sense Godliness, as as Hashem senses Himself. The way Hashem is and the infinite is the way they truly are. So it's that ability of egolessness, that ability of being able to sense Hashem, true reality, true essence, the way Hashem is to Himself, for Himself. This is the quality of Chachm. This is the uniqueness of Chachm. But Chachm, once you see it, it does have an effect, it does have an impact on the rest. Ultimately, it helps you understand it better. Once you see something, obviously you can understand it better and you'll, 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 you'll evoke a response, an emotional response. So Chachm is not just an isolated a vehicle, a vessel to sense the infinite, the way the infinite truly is in its own terms. But Chachm is also a bridge to connect the infinite, that sense of the infinite with the rest of your conscious self. And that's why, since a Jew has this ability, the sixth sense, this chachma, this level of faith that we inherit from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, we're able to, it's able to suffuse the rest of the godly soul with this connection to godliness. That the analytical mind of the godly soul is totally dedicated and devoted to understanding and grasping and comprehending godliness. And the emotions of the godly soul are totally dedicated, focused on feeling godliness, and then thinking about godliness, and speaking about godliness, and then acting exclusively in a godly way. So this is the Chachm. It's that total experience, the innate ability that every Jew has to see godliness, to experience godliness, to sense godliness, and to sense godliness, Hashem, and His Infinite Self, on on its own terms, as is, without embellishing, without human... Embellishment, just as is, in its purity. And this is not something that a human being is capable of doing. The reason the Jew is able to do this is not because of our brain power. It has nothing to do with the brain power. The greatest mind cannot see and sense godliness on its own terms. It's impossible. The human mind is limited. The analytical mind, a whole a whole world of perception is very limited so it's impossible for the human mind no matter how great they are from the greatest to the smallest it's impossible for the human mind to truly grasp something that's ingraspable something that's undefined something that's truly infinite yet every Jew even the simplest Jew not the great philosopher and mystic and scholar the simplest Jew has ability to know knows more about Hashem than the greatest philosophers and the deepest thinkers and the greatest theologians, and the greatest mystics, the simplest Jew knows more about Hashem than the greatest philosophers all, all roll together. And that sense of recognition that every Jew has—we have a recognition. We recognize Godliness. We respond to Godliness. Every Jew, even the simplest Jew, when he hears something godly, you tell them about a miracle. You tell them about a story in the Torah. You tell them about a mitzvah. You tell them about a Jewish experience, a godly experience. The Jew responds. You get excited. It's inexplicable. When you talk about godly things, the Jewish soul gets excited. He can barely understand what you're talking about. Barely comprehends what you're talking about. But innately, you just get excited. It's a sense. You just respond. A Jew responds to godliness. That's why a Jew always says, Baruch Hashem, is always thanking Hashem for everything bringing Hashem into everything. Talking about business, talking about health. What does Hashem have to do with anything? I'm not talking religion. Yet, yet a Jew senses God in everything. This is innate sense, an inherent sense, a sixth sense that Jews have, were born with, that eludes the greatest philosophers and the greatest mystics and the greatest theologians and the greatest meditators. It's a sense that... We just know Hashem. Not because of any great thought or study or reflection or reading in our part or thinking in our part. It's just innate. We just know Hashem. Like Hashem himself, Just we see, we experience Hashem himself. Our ego is out of the way. We just see Hashem. Hashem is open. Hashem is revealed. And we just see it. We sense it. The true sense Hashem in everything. So this is not a quality that comes as a result of great learning and great thinking. You can meditate for a thousand years. You'll never achieve this level. It's an innate, inherent quality that comes from the Koyach HaKochm. The ability to sense. The ability to sense the undefined. The ability to see. To experience. Directly experience. To recognize. And directly experience the undefined, as-is,
0: is. It is this latter aspect of Chachma which enables it to suffuse the entire soul, as stated earlier, and in its active state to affect even one's thoughts, speech and action, which are even lower than the soul's lowest faculties, being merely the garments, the organs of expression for the soul, as will be stated further in chapter 19. The etymological composition of the word chokhmah indicates this dual nature. Chokhmah contains two words, koach, ma, the faculty of the unknown. Literally, ma means what? As one would ask of something he cannot comprehend, what is it? Hence, while it is an intellectual faculty, unless related to the other law faculties, Yet it is a faculty which cannot as yet be comprehended or grasped by the intellect, and is therefore also above and beyond the others.
1: What is it? Ma. You don't know what it is. You can't articulate it. You have no words for it. It's just a sense, a felt sense. What goes on in our subconscious, we have no clue. The subconscious is very busy, but we have no clue. We barely know if it exists. Occasionally we get a glimpse. When you have these eureka moments, these aha, you know that there's a lot going on inside of us, that we're totally clueless. There is an ocean inside of us. <laughs> we're just aware of the drip drop. We don't even realize there's a stormy ocean inside of us. Very active. There's volcanoes. There's, there's all sorts of things going on beneath the surface. Once in a while, it just burst to the surface. But we're totally un- blissfully unaware of. A whole conscious world, a whole surface world. It's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. That's all we know. But when you have this awareness, suddenly you become aware of something deeper, greater. There's something something going on. But it is awareness, the beginning of awareness. But it's also koyach. It's a faculty. It's the beginning of the consciousness. It's the seed of all consciousness. And therefore, it has an impact on your conscious self. It's something you experience, you're aware of, and yet, it's beyond awareness, like there are no words, because our whole frame of reference is defined in words, words, concepts, and yet this is raw potential. You're aware, but you're aware of something that it's beyond awareness. You can't put into words, and yet you're aware of it.
0: For this reason, the light of the Ain Sof, blessed be He, could in no way be comprehended by any thought. Is vested in Chochmah. Those faculties whose functions are intelligence and comprehension cannot serve as receptacles for the light of the Ain Sof, for knowledge cannot grasp the unknowable. Only Chochmah, which itself is higher than comprehension can receive this light.
1: The words fail. When it comes to the infinite, there are no words. You can't define it. So all the logic in the world, all the brilliance in the world, the most brilliant mind, the most logical mind, the deepest philosophers, the greatest philosophers, the wisdom of Solomon himself is simply not a vessel, not a vehicle to comprehend. Because the difference between the great philosopher and the simple person is like the difference of what kind of faucet you have. Okay, maybe we have a tiny little faucet, and the great philosopher has a huge faucet. But in comparison to the ocean, the huge faucet, the tiny faucet, it's all the same. It's insignificant. It doesn't even begin to reflect and to capture what the ocean really is, truly is. So we don't have the vessel and the vehicle. And the great philosopher and the, great, the greatest comprehension doesn't bring us one iota closer to understanding Godliness. To sensing God is to experiencing God as is and in and its, in it's purity, as it experiences itself, so the the simplest and the greatest are all equal in a sense
0: hence hence all Jews, even the women and the illiterate who have no knowledge of god's greatness, believe in God, since faith is beyond understanding and comprehension that is. Faith represents the ability to grasp that which the intellect cannot.
1: There was a time when the women were not as educated. So even those who did not have the benefit of, an, of education were people who were not capable, inherently incapable of, of scholarship, of learning, of depth, of comprehension, of understanding. Yet, nevertheless... They are believers, the children of believers. And they believe with that simple and pure faith. And they believe equally so. The same faith, same pure faith as the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar. Which is why the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar, God forbid, doesn't look down at this fellow join the country. They both share, they both have the same equal faith. Because what makes us Jewish? What makes us Jewish is we have this holy soul. this faith, this knowledge of Hashem. this awareness of Hashem. this knowing and experiencing Godliness. Seeing Godliness. Sensing Godliness. Sensing the infinite. On its own terms. And the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar is able to sense it equally. Like a simplest Jew. Because it's not because he's great and he's learned and he's scholarly and he spends 20 hours a day studying for 50 years that he has any firmer grasp or better grasp of of Hashem than the simplest Jew no all the learning in the world even if you study for a thousand years you're not even one iota closer you can't even begin to comprehend God all the mysticism in the world and all the theology in the world all the religion in the world doesn't bring you one iota closer to Hashem to the infinite to truly sensing the infinite as is it's, we don't have the tools. We simply don't have the tools. Our whole frame of reference is just too. We are finite, and we simply don't have the tools to grasp it. It's impossible. The most brilliant mind, the most brilliant logic, the most brilliant understanding. We are inherently limited. And there's nothing we can do about it. And?
0: A doorway is a torah. doorway is is a understanding
1: part of the but a Jew studies Torah. Right. Because a Jew has that faith. The Torah was given to the Jewish people. Because when a Jew studies Torah, a Jew has that faith, that innate inherent faith that he's born with. Therefore, when he studies Torah, the Torah resonates. The Torah rings a bell. It resonates. It evokes a response. Because the Jew has that innate faith. The Jew has that ability. It's a sixth sense that Hashem gave us. That's why we're called the chosen people. We're not called the choosing people. It's not because of anything that we, we do. This ability, Hashem gave, gives us this ability. This ability to know Hashem. To know Hashem Himself. As is to know the infinite. To see the infinite. To experience the infinite. And it's, it's an egoless experience. It's not about us. We totally remove, we have that ability to totally remove that ego sense of I it's not us processing and digesting it's just Hashem himself is manifest openly, clearly and every Jew senses it, the simplest Jew says Baruch Hashem, thank you Hashem where does he get it from? did he go to to, 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 did he go study theology? Mm -hmm. did he study philosophy? did he study religion? and yet he speaks of Hashem with such certainty, such a living, breathing reality It's so simple, it's so crystal clear, it's so obvious, it's so self-evident. Of course, Hashem, Hashem is everything, everywhere, Hashem. Simple people, uneducated people, unlearned people. And this is the greatness of Yiddishkeit. The greatness of Yiddishkeit is not all the deep philosophers that we produce, Maimonides, and the deep mystics that we produce, the Arizal. And the deep Thambudic scholars we produce, Rabbi Akiva, that's not not our greatness. The greatness of the Jew is the simple people. That the simple Jew has that innate, inherent faith, which is inexplicable. Makes no sense. These are uneducated people. It's not something they came to the realization. They came to the conclusion, after much meditation, after much thought, after much soul-searching, they came to the realization, they came to the conclusion there's a God in this world. He didn't give it a second thought <laughs> they didn't never learn never studied it's an instinct of course what do you mean the sun is shining I see it what's there to learn do I have to go learn and study the sun is shining I see it I see godliness I see the instant. I see Hashem is Hashem is shining it's obvious it's self evident it's not about ego it's not about I so the deepest to the smallest is all the same. In comparison to Hashem, the deepest and the smallest is all the same. And that's what he continues further for a scripture state.
0: For as scripture states, the fool believes everything, but the clever man understands. That is, the fool lacking understanding, grasps every subject through the medium of faith, while the clever man's grasp is based on reason. However, this derogation of the fool for approaching every idea with faith can apply only where the subject of his belief is within the grasp of reason. In this case, the basis for his faith is his own lack of understanding, and he is therefore called a fool. When dealing with godliness, however, which is essentially beyond comprehension, there is no other approach, as the Alter Rebbe goes on to say.
1: If it's something that could be understood, and yet the person just takes it on faith, so then he's a fool. A fool believes everything you say. He's selling the Brooklyn Bridge too. When something could be understood and he doesn't use his mind, he's too lazy to think and to understand, then it's a derogatory state that the wise man understands and the fool believes everything. Hashem, the infinite, cannot be grasped with human mind, with a finite mind, with brilliance, with logic, with philosophy, with religion, with meditation. He simply can't grasp Hashem. So when it comes to things that cannot be grasped, then it's actually a compliment that the fool believes in everything. Because in comparison to Hashem, as he's going to say, in comparison to Hashem, we're all
0: fools, continue. In relation to the Almighty, who is beyond intelligence and knowledge, and who can in no way be comprehended by any thought, all men are like fools before him, and they can therefore grasp him only through faith, as it's written. I am foolish and ignorant, I am as a beast before you, and I am constantly with you. Meaning, that because I approach you as a fool and as a beast, that is through the irrational power of faith, precisely therefore and thereby am I constantly with you.
1: The measure says that this verse refers to Moshe, Moses, that Moses is saying, regarding himself, that I am like a fool. I am like a fool and a beast before you. Just like the beast has zero understanding of godliness, so too Moshe, the most brilliant mind, has the same level of understanding. Because all the brilliance in the world cannot even begin to comprehend godliness. We simply don't have the tools to know Hashem. A blind person trying to understand what the sight is all about. Someone was born blind. Impossible. So all the understanding in the world, all the comprehension in the world, all the brilliance in the world, and you could you could live for a thousand years and each day grow in wisdom and grow and yet you don't even become one iota closer to Hashem. You simply don't have the tools to understand Hashem. So the greatest mind to the simplest and the animals all the same compared to Hashem so when it comes to matters of faith of understanding, grasping the infinite it's only with this approach it's only by sensing that yes, I am like an animal and I am like a fool when it comes to Hashem my mind doesn't doesn't bring me one ayoda closer to Hashem my brilliance doesn't get me one ayoda closer to Hashem and it's only with a sense of humility, the only way to approach Hashem is with a sense of humility that I don't know Hashem And therefore, I worship Hashem. And that's the difference in Judaism and religion. Religion, philosophy, religion, you understand Hashem, and you you are obedient. Hashem commands you to do something, you listen, because you understand that Hashem is the original cause, and Hashem is the supreme being, and Hashem is the omnipotent and omniscient. But not to the point that you worship Hashem. You're nothing? It's like a teacher and a student. The student doesn't worship his teacher, he admires his teacher, he loves his teacher, he obeys his teacher. But the teacher is something and the student is also something. On the contrary, if the teacher is truly something, the student really is something. Because the student is able to understand his teacher, is able to relate to his teacher, is able to connect with his teacher. He doesn't worship his teacher. They become the teacher. What? they become the, eventually, become the teacher eventually, oh, eventually, yeah. right, eventually they become the teacher. But when it comes to Hashem, a Jew worships Hashem. He's completely nullified before Hashem. It's not like, you know, we have to be respectful to God. If Hashem commands me, I must obey. But, you know, everything within reason. You know, relax. I have my life. Of course, if it's my will versus the will of the supreme being, and the omnipotent one, and the omniscient one, and the creator, so who am I kidding? Of course, he's my cause, I'm his effect, he's the teacher, I'm the student, he comes first, he precedes me, I come second, so of course, I will nullify my will before his will. That's religion. But a Jew worships Hashem. There is no I. We don't feel like a student before a teacher. We're completely nullified. There is no I. All there is is Hashem because we don't even begin to grasp what Hashem is, and therefore we come to Hashem with humility Chachma's humility the creative person and that's the true of creativity in general, the creative person must have humility because he's, he's the creative person doesn't know his attitude in life, his approach to everything is I don't know, I'm not sure, I don't know and he's open he's looking, he's searching, he's open He's open to that Eureka, to that communication from the subconscious. He's open to something new, something different. He doesn't know. Versus the logical mind, the analytical mind, he, his position in life is, I know. He knows everything. He's smart, he's brilliant, if you have any doubt, he's the first one to tell you. And he figures it out, and that's his ability. He has ability to take complex issues and articulate it and understand it and grasp it and define it. But that egotistical approach of I know and I'm in charge and I'm in control is also very limited. You can't approach Hashem with that, with that attitude. You can't approach Hashem with ego. Even a religious ego, religious I. I, I am the theologian, I am the mystic, I am the knower, I am the, the deep one, I am the profound one, I am the great one. You can't approach Hashem with any of these this approach. You have to approach Hashem with egolessness. There is no I. Like Moitza said, I'm nothing. I'm an animal in front of you. I, it's not like I'm a teacher, a teacher, a student. I'm somebody. You're a greater. Me and the animal are the same. With ego. No ego. I worship Hashem. A Jew worships Hashem. It's not about I. You can only approach Hashem with humility. If you remove your ego, remove your I, and you have that, the humbleness to admit that you don't even begin, you don't even have the ability to know Hashem. You don't even have the ability to know Hashem. Not only we do not know Hashem, we don't even have the tools to know Hashem. Even to say, I don't know, is also, is also something, is also a level. You have to know something to say, I don't know. We can't even say, I don't know, because it's, we don't even begin, to, we don't even have the tools which to know Hashem. We don't even know what we don't know, we don't even know how to know and that's an inherent limitation there's nothing we can do we can't escape it that is our condition we are finite we are limited try imagining a six cents a seven cents an eight cents impossible you can't it's impossible you can't jump out of yourself you can't think out of the box it's impossible so we, we don't even know how to know and it's only with that attitude that you can approach Hashem that's the attitude of Chachm That's the level of Chachm Chachm is egolessness it's not I Total removal of the eye. There's no ego. Seeing the thing itself, seeing Hashem himself, as is, untarnished, un- unembellished, unvarnished, just as is. As the infinite sees itself, as the infinite truly is, in its purity. That ability of egolessness, of total removal of eye, not even the religious eye, or the mystical eye, or the spiritual eye, the total removal of eye, that's humbleness, that humility. Moshe was the most humble person that ever lived. It's that humility that he approached Hashem that I and the animal are the same. That's the vessel, that's the vehicle to be able to receive the infinite. Moshe says, with this, my approach, with this approach, that I am like a fool and a beast in comparison to you. With this approach, with this humility, with this total removal of ego, that's the vessel, that's the vehicle to be able to receive Hashem. To sense the infinite, to experience the infinite as is. To know the infinite, to be aware of the infinite. And this is a yid. And the simplest Jew has it equally with Moshe. There's no difference. That's why you have nine Moshe's, you have no minion. You have one simple yid, you have a minion. Because what makes us Jewish is, it's this ability of egolessness ability to totally remove the eye, totally remove the eye, and see Hashem as is. And many times, actually this level is more revealed by the simple Jew than it is by the great rabbi, mystic, and scholar. Which is why the true rabbis, mystics, and scholars were jealous or envious of the simple Jew. Moshe was the most humble person that lived, he was jealous and envious of every single Jew, the simplest Jew. He felt that every Jew was superior. Because Misha sensed purity, simple faith, the pure faith that every Jew had, especially the simple Jew. And that purity was totally humbled. It says, Hashem showed Moshe all future generations. And when He saw our generation that's what made him totally humble. Because the purity, the simple faith that you see in our generation, a generation that did not see or experience godliness, on the contrary, a generation that felt and experienced the darkness of exile. You can almost touch the darkness. Darkness is that thick. And the Jews, of course, are always the first ones to suffer. Whether it was communism or Bolshevism or Hitlerism or American assimilationism. So it was the Jew who was always the first one to suffer. And yet, despite this tangible darkness that's so thick you can cut it with a knife, and yet the Jew has such pure faith that the Jew was able to survive Stalin, Yiddish, the Jews was able to survive Hitler. The Jews picked themselves up, rebuilt. The Jews were able to overcome Western assimilation. There's hundreds of thousands of young Jews without the benefit of a Jewish education. Rediscovered their Judaism with a vengeance. This is this purity of faith displayed in our generation like no generation prior to. Moitra was totally humble. Moshe appreciated, and he saw the purity of of the neshama in our generation. It's so intense, it's so clear, it's so powerful. He was totally humble. So Judaism, the greatness of Judaism, the genius of the Jew is not the rabbis, the mystics, and the scholars. The genius of the Jew and the greatness of the Jew you see in the simple yid, in the simplest, truth. who serves Hashem, unadorned, unembellished, with such purity, because of that pintaliyid, because of that ability, that ability of egoism to see Hashem as is, and to experience Hashem as is. and that's why that's why Yiddishkeit is something that's near to each and every Jew because each and every Jew has this ability innate ability deep down to know Hashem to sense Hashem And this ability is intact in each and every gym. There's no, no human fingerprints in this ability. We can't affect it. We did not create it. And we cannot, we cannot uh, affect it in any way. It's pure. You can't destroy it. You can't destroy it. It's, there, it's indestructible. Just like you can't destroy Hashem. You can't destroy because it's not about you. It's the total removal of the ego and Hashem himself is shining, Hashem himself is, is present you feel Hashem's presence the soul feels, sees, experiences Hashem's reality, Hashem's infinite reality the way Hashem sees himself and experiences himself when it comes to this ability there is no difference between great and small because it's not our greatness that brings us closer to Hashem our brilliance, our spiritual capacities, our abilities to meditate, our abilities to comprehend, our depth. It has nothing to do with depth, nothing to do with... It's our ability to humble ourselves, our ability to remove our egos, our ability to allow Hashem Himself to illuminate our soul. Our capacity our soul has to experience Hashem and to see Hashem as is. The greatest and the smallest have this ability equal, in equal measure. And that's why there's a tremendous, not only is there no condescending, there's no looking down, God forbid, on your fellow Jew. And even a Jew who doesn't appear Jewish, even a Jew who consciously has no conscious connection to anything but you he realizes that Jew is holy and has the same holy spark that you have. Has the same holy connection that you have. That same divine, innate, inherent ability. And so not only is it all looking down at your fellow Jew, but there's actually a sense of jealousy and envy. When you see the purity, the simple Jew's pure connection to Hashem, you're actually jealous. You can be jealous. The rabbi, mystic, and scholar can be jealous and envious and learn from the simple Jew. The Baal Shemteh would send his students to learn profound lessons in serving Hashem from the simplest Jew. And this was a revolutionary. This was never unprecedented. Up until that time, there was a clear hierarchy with the great Jews and the mystics and the scholars and then there were the simple people. The simple people knew their place. And the Baal Shemta tore down all those barriers. And the Baal Shemteh loved the simple Jews. And at his meal, there was one meal he would invite the whole community to join him. He sat the simple Jews next to him. He sheared from his cup of wine. And the students, who were all the greatest geniuses of Eastern Europe, each in his own right, was great, were very bothered and troubled by it. This was revolutionary to them. They never saw anything like it. It was unprecedented. never happened before in Jewish history. There has to be an hierarchy. Everyone has to know their place. What kind of nonsense showing respect to simple Jews? You have to know that place. You have to respect greatness, scholarship, brilliance. The Jew spends twenty hours a day learning, and, and the last meal of Hashemta would have only with his students, only with his students. And the Hashemta was in a great mood at Shabbos, and the students were thinking to themselves, "This is wonderful. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're here with the Hashemta. What a what a, what a holy experience." What happens at night with all the simple people? It just ruins the whole thing. Why does the to spend so much time with the simple Jews? Why does He show them so much, pay so much attention to them? And the Vashemte felt their thoughts, and suddenly His face turned very serious, and He says, He said that the burning bush that Moshe saw. Bush that's never consumed. He says that refers to the simple Jew. The simple faith, the pure faith that a Jew has. The infinite faith that we have, it's that burning bush, it's never consumed, it's never satisfied. And the Bashamtav told the students to hold hold each other's shoulders, you know, to hold hands, put the hands over. The person sitting next to them, and they sang a few songs, and the Bashamtah told them to close their eyes. And the Valshamta put his hands on his two students sitting next to him, so they were all in a circle, and suddenly they had a vision, they all had a vision. They heard the Jews, the simple Jews, were not allowed in. They were not privileged, they were not allowed in to the third meal, which is only the Valshamta and his own students. It was saying to them, they sat on a the and they said to them, And it was saying to them so sweetly and so heartfelt. And this was saying, Oi, Tate Zisa, sweet father in heaven. He said, you know, he said a few verses in Tilda, And this one says, Oi, Tate Tayre, precious father. And your heart could melt from such Tilda, It was so pure, so innocent. And the students of the Baal who were the greatest rabbis, mystics, and scholars of Eastern Europe, they said they were crying. Even on Yom Kippur, they didn't do such shriva like they did at that moment. It says, Halavai, we can serve Hashem with such sincerity, and such purity, like these simple service. so heartful, so whole, wholehearted. And the Maggid, Rabbi Dov the Maggid of Mizritch, later related to the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, he says, I was soaking through and through, <laughs> like I went to the mikvah, I was, he says, I never, such shuv I never had in my life. And then the Basham took his hands off, And he spoke about the the, the greatness of a simple Yid. And he says, here we are barely called truth. We're all liars. Our whole being is a lie. We live in the world of lies, material world. And yet we were able to sense and be moved and inspired by the wholesomeness and the wholeheartedness and the sincerity and the purity of these simple Jews relating to Hashem and connecting with Hashem and having a relationship with Hashem. Can you imagine Hashem himself? It Who's the truth of truth. Imagine how Hashem is totally moved and inspired by these simple Yid. So the respect they have to have for the simple Yid. And later on, Rabbi Dov told the Alte he was very troubled. How did he doubt his own teacher, his own master and teacher, the Shemitah? That he thought, he thought, negative of the Tov, that why is he why is he paying so much attention to these simple Jews it's not not right and he, he, he didn't understand he didn't appreciate it but he felt bad that he, he had these thoughts about his own teacher and master. he should have accepted it and it bothered him for a very long time he says until one night his soul went up to heaven when he went to sleep his soul went up to heaven and he entered into the into the chamber the heavenly chamber where Moshe teaches Taita to those souls who were never born, for those souls who died very young. So Moshe is teaching them Taita, teaching them Chumash. And we came to the section that Sarah left. When Avram, the Malach, the angel, delivered the message from Hashem promising you're going to have a baby boy, she laughed. How is it possible? I'm so old, I'm, I'm 89 I'll be 90. And um I said, how is it possible? Avram, said, Avram also laughed, a different type of laughter, but how is it possible? So he, Maitre Rabbeinu, explained to them what Rashi said. He said After all the explanations, he said, how is it possible? So the Moshe said, with all, after all the explanations, the simple meaning remains a simple meaning. You laugh. How is it possible such a holy tzaddik like Avram and Sarah, should laugh? But the answer is, because even a tzaddik, since you're a soul in a body, your body is flesh and blood, is materialistic. So because of the body, it's possible that you should laugh. And they laugh. The Maggid understood this was the answer to him. He should realize that, yes, you laughed in your heart. You doubted the Baal Shemitah. You couldn't understand this whole approach of loving the simple Jew and, and elevating the simple Jew and even sending his students to learn things from the simple Jew and elevating the status of the simplest Jew, which seemed to him to be degrading and downgrading the rabbi, mystic, and scholar because he didn't understand it until he had that experience. They all had that experience together. But he realized, listen, he's human, and yeah, it's to be expected from a human being, you're still a body, even if you're a tzaddik, you're still a human being and a soul and a body, and from your body, as a result of your body, you can have thoughts which are, which are inappropriate. But this was the revolution of the Bar of loving every Jew, of learning from every Jew, the point of being envious and jealous of the simple faith of the simple youth because know, you see the purity the purity of the nasham. it's like the, 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 there's a saying it's easier to put your feet in hot water than it is to put your head in hot water because your head resists, the feet is a soldier it's a troop hot water, hot water so the simple explanation is because it's the least sensitive of the body. Souls of the feet are the least sensitive. Your head is very sensitive. But the truth is, it's because the mind interferes. The mind doesn't allow your soul, it interferes with your soul. The mind is a mind of its own. So it doesn't allow the soul, when your soul wants to go into hot water, your, your mind objects. Your mind understands all the difficulties. And it's very sensitive. The foot is a soldier. It's a loyal soldier. The foot, there's no obstruction. Your soul wants to move, you move. Your soul wants to go into hot water, you go into hot water. So the, the, the purity of the soul, in a certain sense, is reflected more in the, in the foot than it is in the mind. And the same is true with the Jewish people as a whole. We are the feet, ikviz of the the souls of the feet of the Jewish organism generation of Moshe was the mind, the brain of the Jewish people. The leaders. We are the and the eyes and we are the bottom of the barrel. We are the souls of the feet. But The souls of the feet are the troops. The simple. Jew. In comparison to our ancestors, we're midgets. The greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar today <laughs> is a midget of midgets in comparison to even simple people a few hundred years ago. I mean, it's... it's no comparison so if you look at the whole entirety of the Jewish people we're the souls of the feet we're the spiritual midges and yet the purity of the soul that you see today the simple faith that enabled us to overcome Stalin and Hitler and western assimilations even the streets in America were were not kosher and America was different People thought that it was impossible to be Jewish in America. And yet, you see the the, the flourishing of Jewish life, the outburst, the Jewish faith. When Moshe saw this, Hashem showed Moshe our generation is totally totally humble. He saw the greatness, the infinite depth of the Jewish soul that you see in our generation, more so than any other generation. Which is why our generation is called Ikviz al We are going to lead the entire Jewish people into Mashiach. The Jabba Akiva didn't merit, or his generation didn't merit, or the generation the didn't merit. We are going to merit, as simple as we are, as spiritual midgets that we are, we carry the entire Jewish people. Mashiach is going to enter the entire Yisrael with our generation. Because, in a certain sense, this is the purest of all generations. Because it's in our generation that you see the pure faith you see the power of the neshama in its its purity. It's not brilliance. It's not depth. It's not... It's just a pure faith, that innate, inherent faith that each and every Jew inherits from Avraham, Yisra, Kini, Yaakov, Sarve, that emerges and surfaces. Ironically and paradoxically, under these circumstances, more so than under other circumstances. Talmud says, if they would have tortured Hananiah, Mishol, and Azariah, they were thrown into the fire and they kept their Yiddish they refused to bow down to idols. They were thrown, it was a one time thing, but had they been tortured, we don't know if they would have had the strength to resist. And yet, in our generation, Jews were tortured, and yet, with thousands and thousands, of Hasidim, under those circumstances, were relentless not yield and not compromise the Talmud says even Hanani Mishal Vazari would not be able to, to, to achieve this but that simple faith that I am a Yid and I'm a Jew and I know Hashem and I see Hashem and I experience Hashem and Hashem is truth and Hashem is reality and there's no compromising not even one iota this is reality this is where do you see it in its purity you see it most in our generation and uh, to be continued, next week we'll conclude the chapter.